And welcome, everybody, to an amazing Friday here on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I hope everybody's planning to have a just a fantastic weekend. I know I am. I'm excited to have a few days off. I hope you are, too, as well. As always, if you want to reach out to the show, head on over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. You can check out old episodes there as well. I say it every day because I want you to check them out every day. <laughs> but we've got a big day in front of us. Uh, we got Senate Bill 126 we're going to dive into. That's the bill to change how governors, it's a constitutional amendment to change governors' pardoning powers. We'll dig into that. Um, based upon a new piece of legislation coming out of the legislature as well as some past pieces, there's definitely something going on with McConnell's health, I would imagine, that we're unaware of. Um, that coupled with, you know, there's some national politics concerns there with with McConnell as well. Trump recently saying he couldn't work with him. But with these bills coming out, it, it makes you wonder uh, what what's going on here, right? There's obviously something going on there uh, based upon Kentucky's laws. We'll take a look at uh, some discussion on House Bill 357, which is banning banks from issuing, from using a uh, special code for firearm shops that was recently created. We'll dig into that and what's it all about. And then yesterday I was talking about an article that heavily quoted Art Crosby um, that on the uh, piece of legislation House Bill was 18 to stop locales and governments from mandating that landlords take Section 8 uh, vouchers for and not be able to uh, quote unquote discriminate against people who have Section 8 vouchers. And Art Crosby, um, who's uh, you know a part of the what was it the fairness campaign or something like that here in Lexington, said uh, you know he wasn't sure if that was legal, and we kind of dug into that. But the title of that, and there's just a few more comments I want to make on that, so that'll probably come at the end. But starting us off, we'll wrap back around here to Senate Bill. 126. So Senate Bill 126 has passed the Senate and we'll head over to the House. This is another constitutional amendment. So, so far, I think out of one chamber or the other, there's been like four or so constitutional amendments. We've had this one constitutional amendment to uh, move the constitutional officers elections to president's uh, election year. We have the constitutional amendment out of the House uh, that would that has passed that would stop non-U.S. citizens from being able to vote in Kentucky elections to put that into our constitution. Uh, we have Osborne's proposed uh, amendment. We've got um, what we've got two school choice amendments. Uh, there's there's been a lot. There's been a lot of amendments proposed so far, and we've had two, three pass one chamber or the other already. Remember, guys, we can only have four constitutional amendments. A year on a ballot, but why? What Senate Bill 126 and why's do they think it's so important to pass? Well, what it would do is it would, you know, right now the governor can pardon anybody they want to at any time, and so this would seek to pardon, uh, to restrict pardoning powers 30 days out from an election, and until the next, uh, you know, term starts for the governor, and so this would to um, they say they would do this in order to prevent. Things like what happened with Bevin. Bevin issued what some I think like six hundred pardons, like a lot of pardons. Out uh, after he lost re-election to Bashir, he issued all these pardons on his way out the door, and some of them were pretty controversial. 
And, uh, you know, they a lot of Republicans didn't like that, especially those in the House and Senate. And so they want to take away the ability for a governor to basically, they say, you know, for lack of a better term, to pardon people without repercussions, political repercussions. Because obviously, if you pardon somebody after you've lost an election, you're like, well, I'm done with politics, so I guess I'm just going to pardon them. I've done lost, you know, what have you. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so they're seeking to uh, address that to make sure that um, that's dealt with. But I I actually think this piece of legislation is kind of, to, to a degree, kind of useless. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Andrew, this is, you know, he issued a lot of pardons. He did that. That was a big problem. And I hear you. And I understand that he did. And I understand it was a big problem. And I'm not saying he should have done it. And I'm not saying all those pardons are great. But here's what I mean. Okay. The only times where this would matter at all is when you have a person running for re-election for the governor's office here in Kentucky and then loses re-election. Okay. That's it. That that would be the only time it mattered. And so keep in mind, prior to 1992, governors never could run for a second term. And yet our constitution wasn't in there like this. This this wasn't in there. So they were always not going to be able to run for a second term consecutively. They could run in, you know, four years for another term, but they couldn't consecutively succeed themselves. So even even if you lost so in modern day, even if you lose your re-election bid you can still run again in four years for another term you can still run again in eight years for another term so essentially for all of kentucky history it's been like this right it's absolutely it's been like this it's been that people were able to issue pardons without running for office again and then in modern day like Andy Bashir right now, from the moment he's elected, what is, so they say, well, you know, uh, yeah, they're on their way out, but they could issue pardons after the fact, but if they do it before the fact, it could affect their party and their party needs to pay repercussions. I mean, that's what the bill's sponsor on this actually said. He said that the, the people issuing these pardons need to be held accountable and their political party held accountable when they do the wrong thing. That's what he said. So let me ask you in kind, right? What is the actual difference between Andy Bashir issuing pardons his last few days if he doesn't think he's running again in Kentucky, or Andy Bashir issuing pardons initially. I mean, he's just as much future political possible ramifications as Matt Bevin did for issuing those pardons. He is just as much. But yeah, he's got four years knowing he's not running for re-election to issue pardons. So what's my what's my point about this? I understand the concern about the 600, blah, 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 blah. But once again, remember, we're talking about changing our constitution. We're limited to only four amendments uh, a year, and they're going to try to load on a bunch more. We still have a school choice amendment we'd like to see. We're going to probably get this U.S. citizen amendment. They're probably going to try to push forward an amendment to help the legislature. So really, that just leaves one other amendment. And you'd like to see it used for something that um, people could grasp a little bit more onto or that could be more meaningful in our changes. But instead, I mean, and, and here's the other thing, too. Is it going to pass? Because you, you load up all these constitutional amendments. Maybe it's like they think it's an easy one for people to vote yes on. But the problem is, is does the average person even understand, you know, the the nuances here? What's going on with this constitutional amendment and why it's being proposed. 
I mean, that's all. That's all. I'm not saying it's necessarily a horrible amendment. My point is only that I understand the problem they think they have, but but a governor has been always able to issue pardons. But because Bevin did the wrong thing that one time, let's permanently change our constitution. And I just think that's, you know, like I said, I don't know if I'm against it or not per se. You know, as far as issuing pardons go, there's there's an argument to make that honestly you would want a governor able to issue some pardons based on what's right and wrong and not what's politically expedient. I can make an argument for that. You may not like the argument. You may not agree with my argument. And you can disagree with me. Reach out to the show at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. But from a sheer like right and wrong side of things, there are things that may not be politically expedient, people and issues you don't want to pardon on. You know, I'm thinking more so right now at the national level, some, some you know, people who exposed uh, corruption within the government are being charged with treason. I'm not going to name too many names, but you can figure out who that is. That, you know, maybe you want somebody in a position where they could pardon those people without having to pay the political repercussions or worried about the political repercussions that, not as much the political repercussions with the people, but within their own party and the government that comes after them after that. I'm just saying, it's something to think about. Well, coming up after this, we'll be digging into uh, probably House Bill 357 discussion on that. Uh, we'll have that after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. And you are back with The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics. So House Bill 357 made it through a committee this week. What's House Bill 357? Well, to give you a little bit of background, okay? So a few years ago, keep in mind, so the the national, the federal government, the governments as a whole, they're not allowed. They they are not legally allowed to keep a list of gun owners, right? So if a crime's committed with a gun and a gun is recovered, what they do is is they run the serial number on that gun, then they go find the shop it was initially sold to. Okay? Then they go to the shop it was initially sold to from the manufacturer, right? FFL dealer. So it enters into the marketplace with the FFL dealer. And then they ask the FFL dealer who has to pretty much keep their records indefinitely to give them the record of who purchased um, that gun the first time. And then from there, they kind of like track it down. Okay. Um, and, and figure out, okay, so, you know, for an example, they find a gun. So you see a number. They say, oh, it was sold to donnie's gun shop that's who initially purchased it from the manufacturer go to donnie say donnie's who'd you sell this to and they say well we sold it to bob larry so they go see bob larry and say bob larry you still got this gun and then bob larry can say no it was stolen or bob larry can say no i sold it or bob larry can say yeah i've got the gun and then that kind of gives them some idea of tracking how this gun got involved with a crime but the government in and of itself isn't allowed to keep like a firearms registry and they're not allowed to do so. It's a constitutional thing. And so in order to try to, you know, try to get around this, um, some activists some time ago went to credit card companies and said, you should create a specific transaction code for gun stores. So priorly gun stores would be uh, categorized as simply sporting goods. But then right around, I don't know, 22 or so, they decide that they would go ahead and create a category for guns. 
and uh, gun stores specifically. So if you still go buy a gun at like, I don't know, like uh, Academy Sports, they sell guns, or Rule King. Uh, so if you still go buy a gun there, it won't show up as, it'll show up as the same code as if you went there to buy dog food. And this is as I understand it. If, if, and this is, you know, I've done a fair amount of research on this. This is as I understand it. So it'll be the same as if you buy, you know, dog food. Okay. Except a lot of money, obviously. You spend more than dog food. But, you know, if you go and buy a $400 tractor or whatever implement tool, from Rule King, it shows the same as if you bought a $400 gun, but individual gun stores that are gun stores only started getting their own transaction code to signify that they're a gun store. There's been a purchase for a gun store. Now, granted, it still doesn't know whether or not you are purchasing a gun, a safe, whatever. It just knows that you've bought something at a gun store. So this comes the closest they can, but if you're showing up to a gun store and buying anything at a gun store, anything at all, there's a good chance you own a gun if you're buying a holster, if you're buying ammo, if you're buying a gun. The point is, is they know you went into a gun store, you made a purchase, you most, especially if it's above a certain amount, you most likely own a gun and they know it. And so it's a way of creating a list. And, you know, there has been states that have been mandating uh, that this code be used. You've had California, New York do it. You just had 48 federal senators send a letter to credit card companies saying you should be mandating that this code be used in every state you can unless it's been specifically banned. So with that in mind, and in order to protect uh, gun owners, and also too, it's also to keep gun stores banked. I mean, one of the problems we have with things like you know, Discover Card, we heard about this recently, uh, and a few other credit card companies saying that they will not process transactions at gun stores. They won't, they don't, they said, well, we think gun crime's really bad, and so we're going to force our beliefs down on you, and there's only like three credit card companies. So we're not going to let you use your MasterCard or Discover Card, it was Discover in this case. We're not going to let you use your Discover Card to make purchases. You may remember Discover Card also came out and said you couldn't uh, use your Discover card to make donations, not just credit card, but debit card, to make donations to um, Kyle Rittenhouse's defense fund. And so by creating this code, they're giving them the ability to, one, the credit card companies could cut off your ability to buy guns at any time, but two, they're also creating a list. And so some activists came together and they said, hey, let's file this House Bill 357. I believe Jared Bauman's the main sponsor out of Louisville. Um, and they put this together to say, look, we're going to ban the use of this code. So states are allowed to ban credit card companies from using certain codes in their state. And they said, we're going to ban the use of a gun store specific code. You can call them sporting goods. And that's it. And so a vote took place on it. And of course, all the Democrats in the committee had some pretty uh, ridiculous arguments against it. Let's take a listen uh, to the the first one here. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter. These are just Democrats. I, I would tell you their names. But it really doesn't matter. They're just dumb Democrats that are Kentucky representatives. Let's listen to the first uh, argument against this bill, why they think this bill shouldn't pass. 
I mean, so I think that gets to my point that if I went to a gun store today and I made a purchase and it did have a merchant code attached to my credit card that, I mean, I could have purchased a holster. I could have purchased a gun. I could have purchased ammunition. I could have purchased a nice mag- recreational magazine. And I think that's an important distinction to make that merchant codes don't ultimately um, create a pattern of that you have purchased a weapon necessarily. It just shows, shows that you have made a purchase at a store. Um, so I'm, just have further questions of how that um, particular information could be, quote, weaponized um, against an individual. Um, One follow-up, if I may, Mr. Chair. So I find it interesting that I think it was mentioned this hasn't been used in terms of before excluding a certain merchant code from our laws, although that we did learn that we could do it. Um, So fewfold. Right. So her argument there is twofold. One is, is that banning this code doesn't make sense because just because you you're saying it's making a list of firearm owners. Right. That's what you're worried about. But just because I went to a gun store and made a purchase doesn't mean I'm a firearm owner. That's her claim. She says now in her question, she gives an answer of how it does mean you're a firearm owner. She says, I could have went to the gun store and bought a holster, uh, a safe, what'd you say, ammunition, uh, a fancy magazine, high-end magazine. I could I could have bought any of those things. What does it mean, Representative, if you buy those things, though? It means you what? Own a gun. So, yes, it still creates a list of gun owners. It still creates a list of gun owners. So to somehow claim that just because you went to a gun store, that doesn't necessarily mean you own a gun because, you know, you went there and purchased something. It kind of sort of does. The only other thing you could have purchased is maybe if they sell archery items. Otherwise, what are you buying from a gun store that doesn't indicate that you have access to a fire? Maybe you don't own a gun, but if you're in there buying Ear protection, targets, ammo. I mean, what does a gun gun store sell that doesn't have to do with guns? Like nothing. Like next to nothing, right? If it's a sporting goods store that happens to sell guns, that's given a different code. So keep in mind, this code is specific to gun stores. So think about it. Last time you were in a gun store, look around. What do they sell that wouldn't indicate you own a gun other than archery equipment? That's it. That's all I can think of. Then she has a second thing she says there. She says, there's no other merchants enjoying this protection. I'm worried about the safety. So it doesn't, why are we doing this for guns? It doesn't matter. This, this, they don't deserve their own special carve out. It's constant. It's the only thing that's constitutional. That's why it gets a special carve out of protection of safety. Because it's a constitutional item. You've constitutional access to it. You don't have constitutional access to literally like anything else. You have no right to anything else purchased in your life. You have no right to a car. You have no right to, to buy things at Walmart. You have no right to buy things at Kroger. I mean, technically, you could argue you have a right to buy food. But you'd have to kind of make a roundabout argument within the Constitution. Guns are the only thing that is specifically outlined that you have a right to purchase outside of property in general. So obviously land too, I guess. So land and guns is like the only thing you have a specific right. 
And when it comes to guns, specifically, shall not be infringed. It's like the only thing in the Constitution that it says you should have access to and it shouldn't be infringed by anybody. That's why it gets its own special carve out. It's very simple and straightforward. And so then, then you have, you're, you're going to have other Democrat chime in here with another argument that says, yeah, you know, I don't think it's necessary. Then at the same time, this other Democrat, she ends up giving us the exact reason why it is necessary. So I'm going to continue digging into House Bill 357 and this discussion on it after this short break, because we're coming up on, on a bit here. So if you want to reach out to the Andrew Kubrater Show, remember, you can email info at theandrewshow.com, or you can head on over to theandrewshow.com as well. That's always available and access to you. But we're going to be digging into House Bill 357 a little bit more. There's, there's a few more comments made, but then in stupidity, these Democrats end up making a comment that proves why it's needed with no realization, no like self-awareness. And it actually makes for a pretty teachable moment for people who, when they're talking about these, these situations to protect gun rights, why everything is a fight and why we should be constantly pushing for more access to our Second Amendment. So we'll have that after this short break. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperator Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Before the break, we are talking about House Bill 357, which looks at banning credit card companies from being able to uh, essentially uh, they, they've issued a, a transaction code to be applied to only gun stores and banning the use of this in Kentucky to make sure that if you're purchasing something at a firearm store, it doesn't, it's not specifically known that you're purchasing something at a gun store. So you don't get put onto some list. And we were going over some of the Democrats arguments against it. Um, first they argued, of course, that, well, you, you, you don't need this because, well, you could, you know, just cause you buy something at a gun store doesn't mean you own a gun, which of course is ridiculous. Everything in a gun store pretty much means you own a gun. But here we have another Democrats argument of why this isn't necessary. Let's take a listen. But also I would just like to point out that typically when people like to be anonymous on the things that they buy, there's been the age old habit of purchasing in cash. And so I do not understand, again, the need for this legislation, given that if somebody would like to remain anonymous, then you could just do so by purchasing whatever product that you wish, whether it be this industry or another industry. You could just pay, pay for show, such in cash. So I ultimately um, don't necessarily understand the need for the legislation at this time, given that this has not been something that has been an issue. It's something that we're trying to be proactive about. And I have a lot of concerns when legislation um, looks for problems as opposed to um, trying to solve problems that already exist. So, thank you, Mr. Chair. So let's rewind for a second here, okay? So um, she said a lot of things there. So first she starts off by saying that, well, this isn't necessary because, you know, if you want to remain anonymous about your gun purchases, just use cash, Every time you go to the gun store, apparently. So at the same time that she is acknowledging that this is uh, uh, able to put together that information that, well, if a person doesn't want their information collected, they should just use cash at the gun store. Every time, keep in mind, you're not just buying guns at the gun store. You're buying targets, you're buying ammo, you're buying so on and so forth. And yeah, you know, it's a great example. You should probably mostly use cash. But what happens 
when you want to purchase ammunition and you don't have the cash on you. It's a good deal on ammunition. What happens when it's a Sunday and you can't get to the bank to pull out the two grand to buy the gun you want? And more importantly, why is it that suddenly now you're, you're, it's, it's a form of essentially gun control to say that a person, uh, uh, we're going to create policies to somehow prevent a person from purchasing on a credit card. And they say it's not necessary. I don't see the point of this. We're, we're in search of a problem. This isn't an issue yet. It seems like you're just being proactive of an issue that doesn't exist. So I want you to remember what this rep said. Okay, so she said, we don't need it because people can just buy cash. We don't need it because this isn't a problem. We don't need it because you're worried about nothing. You don't need it because uh, uh, there's nothing to worry about here. Nobody's trying to come after you. You don't got to worry about it. This is then what another Democrat rep who echoed, I agree with her. This is then what she said, literally saying, I agree with all of her concerns. It's not necessary. It's not needed. And then she said this, proving why it's needed. I understand your attention. And I'd like to thank the sponsor for speaking to me one-on-one -on -one last night about this bill. I have, I have concerns about this. I understand your intention. Um, but I think the real crux of the issue here is that there are organizations that are working to try and um, pass some common sense gun reform. And I feel like this bill um, is the antithesis of that in some ways. And uh, because of those concerns that I have, I'll be a no on this bill today. But again, I do appreciate your time discussing it with me. Thank you. So she just said, Okay, so she just said this wasn't necessary. You're not, what are you trying to solve a problem? What are you worried about? You got nothing to worry about. Just use cash. What are you so worried about? Then just a few minutes later, says she won't support the bill because there's several people looking to push forward common sense gun reform. Okay, common sense gun reform, which remember is nonsense. Common sense gun reform, that is literally just uh, uh, gun control legislation. So she says there's people trying to pass gun control legislation and this is the antithesis to that. What does that mean? Antithesis means the opposite. So if you're saying that people are trying to pass gun control and this is the opposite of gun control legislation, this is against that. What's that mean this is? What's that mean about necessariness? It means that it's increasing access to law-abiding citizens having their guns. It means it's going against that. She, in her response there, is acknowledging that getting this transaction code outlawed in Kentucky would be a step back for gun control advocates, which means that having this access code was something that gun control advocates were pushing forward for a reason, a reason to limit access for law-abiding citizens to purchase guns. And it has to be law-abiding citizens to purchase guns and have guns without, without you know, it being infringed upon. Because keep in mind, we're not talking about a piece of legislation about personal gun transactions. We're talking about a piece of legislation which puts a transaction code on gun stores, you know, where you go to buy a gun and go through a background check to purchase the gun. So she says it out loud. She's told us why we need it. Because it is a tool of those looking to take away your Second Amendment rights to do so. And she admits it. That's how stupid these people are sometimes.
they're literally either they don't hear themselves when they talk and they don't realize because five minutes after they say one argument. So they both both Democrats that we listened to had the same argument. This isn't necessary. Nothing else we've worried about this way. Uh, You can just buy cash. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean you have a gun. There's no reason to worry about it. You guys are worrying about nothing. And then turn around and say, oh, by the way, I don't support this because uh, this is actually setting back gun control. Thank you for proving why this is necessary. Thank you for doing the hard work for us. I can't believe they said this. I literally can't. So with that in mind... That's House Bill, once again, 357. I want to tell you, make sure you get out there, talk to your legislators, right? Because they will get, you know, the Moms Demand Action crowd. You know, as we covered earlier this week, these people, these these liberals will get people out of state, eight hours away, 10 hours away, 15 hours away, calling into your legislators, sometimes making up their addresses, but calling into your legislators or emailing your legislators, telling them to go against things, because of their agenda, saying, hey, don't pass House Bill 357. It's useless. Don't pass House Bill 357. We need gun sense, not not this ridiculous or, or, or common sense gun measures, not uh, unfair to access to guns. Stand again. They're going to be getting those emails. And so those of us who would have, and keep in mind, these people don't live in Kentucky. It doesn't affect them at all. But for those of us who value our Second Amendment in Kentucky, we've got to be calling our legislators and telling them, Vote yes on House Bill 357. And if you want to know the uh, the phone number to call there for LRC's website, or LRC's, so you can email by going over to legislature.ky.gov and clicking Find My Legislator, and you can go ahead and uh, be able to contact your legislator. You can email them there. But you can also call the legislative message line at 1-800-372-7181. Once again, that's 1-800-372-7181. And tell your legislator, vote yes on House Bill 357. We don't need a gun registry. And oh, by the way, to her point, saying that, well, you know, these private companies, consumer buying behaviors, they already have a list of who you are, so don't worry about it. First off, that is incredible. It's not very accurate. Second off, you know what? That's great. We should pass a law to stop that too because it's nobody's business that you own a gun other than yours and other than the shop you purchase it from, making sure that your background check comes back and it's good to go. And guess what? The government can't keep a record that you've, that you've bought a gun. Keep that in mind. Anyways, you're listening to The Andrew Cooper Show. After this, we'll be talking about uh, some interesting pieces of legislation coming out of Kentucky uh, that indicate some issues going on with McConnell. We'll be talking about that after this short break. And you are back with The Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics. Mitch McConnell's getting up there in age, and while I don't often talk about national politics, I'm not going to really talk too much about his national political side of things, it's no big secret. He's not very uh, liked by anybody. He's one of the least liked senators by his own state, based upon polling data, if not the most least liked uh, person from their own state. And he, uh, he, he's certainly getting up there in age. Um, now, right, as of right now, the election date for his seat would be in 2026, so another two years. Though recently we've seen some actions out of the legislature Tell us there's some things going on that maybe they don't want to tell us about, um, that they're maybe a little more clued in on a few things, because they're suddenly, after all this time, looking at changing around the way that the 
Senate seat vacancies are filled. Now, back in 2022, we saw a bill that would uh, basically, so the governor appoints the sender replacement. Now, understand, let's rewind, go way, 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 way back. So remember that senators were elected by the state legislature. So it was the state legislature that selected a senators, two senators, that represented the state. Okay? And remember that. So when Kentucky's constitution was first drafted, that's how senators were picked. Well, then there was a change that senators should be elected. Okay? But our constitution was never really changed to go along with that. What do I mean? Well, right now... In our law, and the way our Constitution and current laws are set up, that if there's a vacancy in Congress, that's filled by a special election. Why? Because when the Constitution was wrote, when these laws were created, con congressional, pe congressional people, uh, members of Congress were elected, right? So it's always been the case that when a position is an elected position, pretty much in Kentucky, almost unilaterally, if there is an elected position in Kentucky, you know, state legislature, uh, a, a legislative representative, especially legislative representative, if they're elected and then there's a vacancy, there is always a special election to replace them. That is the way it works. Now, keep in mind, the way special elections work is that there's a primary process that's done by the parties where the uh, whatever party entity that that election has to deal with gets to vote. So if it's a state house rep, state senator, any of the county parties in that district, uh, they come together to a nominating convention and then they nominate somebody to represent the Republican Party and then the Democrats do the same thing and represent the Democrat Party. And then, of course, any independents can file for the seats. And then there's only a general election held. And so if it's a congressional race um, right now, well, there is in the Republican Party, there is uh, district parties that are broken down based upon the congressional districts. And when there is a special election, that congressional district party would be the ones to come together and then they would vote in a nominating convention for that replacement. So if there was a senator, uh, what you would see is, is that the national, the, the national, the state party would be the ones taking the helm to take a role. And then the executive committee of the state party would be the one making that selection. So anyway, so uh, around 2022, as people started to realize McConnell may not be with it all, uh, there was a law change made that the governor, who probably could appoint the senatorial replacement, uh, now would be given a choice of three people to pick from that the party would get to choose from the person who left. So basically, it would state that the governor Bashir would have to appoint a Republican to the seat, and he would have his choice of three Republicans, because a Republican currently holds a seat, and he'd have his choice of three Republicans that the party picked to choose for that seat. But there's been some concerns about constitutionality of it. And of course, you know, the, the party likes to have a little bit of their control in there too when it comes to picking a replacement. So now they're looking at simply adding the senator's uh, elections to uh, a special election much in the same way congressional elections are handled. And so when a Senate vacancy is there, the governor shall call a writ of special election that will then go ahead and be the way that the senatorial replacement is chosen, which honestly gives even more power over to the state party to pick their nominee because they would just need to pick one nominee.
Which would mean, regardless though, we would end up with a senator who uh, didn't actually have to run for a primary election in a red state, so they'd be very selected, not as much elected. But anyways, um, so it does point that there's issues going on with McConnell. Of course, we've seen him freezing up. Uh, Or it could be that McConnell is thinking to himself that if Trump wins, maybe McConnell doesn't want to be in office anymore. Maybe he thinks he doesn't want to work with Trump. It would harm his legacy. And so McConnell's saying, well, look, I'm going to plan on stepping down in 2024, 2025 anyways. I know I'm not running for re-election, so this will provide an opportunity for us to pick my replacement without allowing the voters to have a choice in the matter. And so, and, and this bill that they're putting forward I believe would have a lot better chance of staying up to constitutional muster compared to their old way of doing this simply because we currently do the same thing for Congress. Um, and it dates back to a change once again, in how our senators were elected, there was a change and it's kind of like we didn't change with that way back when, when senators became elected instead of picked by the state legislature. Well, those of you who listened to the show yesterday know I spoke about, um, it's House Bill 18, a bill to stop local governments from mandating that landlords take Section 8 housing vouchers as well as some other housing vouchers and that they could, quote unquote, discriminate based on source of income. And in speaking about that, I had some quotes from Art Crosby from an article by Beth Musgrave. Now, what I never did was tell you what the, uh, what the, um, article's title was because it's kind of ridiculous. So the article's title was um, a as Kentucky bill restricting local control of rental laws moves forward, some question its legality. And I wanted to bring this up because this is an example of obvious bad media. Because what they're saying in this headline, what they want you to believe is that you can somehow, okay, a locality can pass a law mandating that you have to take Section 8 housing vouchers, but then you can't pass a law saying that they can't pass a law mandating you take Section 8 housing vouchers. And of course, the claim in the articles I talked about yesterday is that because it's against discrimination law, it's somehow uh, uh, going to violate um, you know, civil rights laws. That was the argument made. It wasn't that it's unconstitutional. It wasn't that, you know, hey, this is a local control issue. And according to our constitution, blah, 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 blah. That wasn't the argument at all. And the problem really becomes when we're talking about it this way, the problem becomes that this didn't exist like until a few years ago. And we've been seeing this more and more where literally they will make up laws and regulations like yesterday. And then when we take an aim at getting rid of it, they'll say, whoa, 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 that's unconstitutional. We saw this on the national level with DACA. If you remember, Obama put in place DACA, the Dreamers Act, um, where people who are illegal immigrants, but have like lived here basically their whole lives since they were kids could stay. And then Trump tried to reverse that the Supreme Court ruled that that not the courts ruled the federal courts ruled that that wasn't allowed he couldn't like reverse it I don't know if the Supreme Court ruled honestly but you know the courts ruled that he couldn't do that I do remember that and it's like that didn't exist until a few years ago how's it suddenly now a constitutional mandate and it's the same way with this this didn't exist until a few years ago how's it suddenly a constitutional mandate that you can mandate people take section 8 housing vouchers that's absolutely ridiculous. 
But they really want you to believe that. And that speaks to bad journalism. Once again, you know, I talk about this all the time. The Herald, the Courier Journal, a lot of these newspapers talking about how local news is dying and how local journalism is dying and it needs support and they don't understand why they can't get the support. This is why that headline is extremely misleading and ridiculous. It's course it's legal to do. You can't pass a law saying you can do it you, or you have to do it. And then you can't pass a law saying you can't pass a law saying that. That's without making a constitutional argument. That's not how this works. But you'd have people believe it. And now people are going to read that headline and think that the legislature is passing this and it's somehow illegal and it's not. This is why people don't trust the media. And this is why you can't have public discourse anymore. This is why you can't talk to each other anymore. Because people literally, they, they read a headline and they operate off of it and they never get the updated information either. They took advantage of this during COVID. We saw that. And so we continue to see this type of behavior from these news outlets and then they wonder why people don't want to support them. You're alienating people and you're doing bad journalism and we can tell. You're not hiding it from anybody. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. We'll be back here Monday. Have a great weekend. Remember, if you want to learn more about the show, head on over to theandrewshow.com.